You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Joe R. Lansdale. He's won just about every award in every genre, and he's written in just about every genre. His latest book, Coming Out Soon, is The Complete Drive-In. Thank you for joining me, Joe. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for asking. Joe, you know, I think uh, I've been reading you for a long time, since I, uh, since uh, By Bizarre Hands and maybe even before that. Yeah, it was 80s. Yeah. <laughs> so, Back when I was 12. Yeah, me, me too. We were dinosaurs <laughs> were roaming the earth. Yes, right. Um, one of the things I think uh, struck me, even from when I read the, the drive-in the first time around, was that has always seemed to be a little bit different from all the rest of your work, whereas I think the rest of your work is very, very recognizable to you, and so is the drive-in. There's just something about it that has always seemed to be, um, it, it, it occupies a parallel universe from the rest of your work. I believe that's true. Yeah, I, I believe it is. In many ways, it's it's exactly the same sort of thing I've written about, but it. You know, in other words, East Texas and East Texas people and East Texas culture and certainly the culture that I experienced when I was growing up and the fascination with drive-ins. But there is another aspect there, and I think that that's because it was influenced very heavily, I think, which is obvious, by all the films that were popular in the late 70s up until about the middle 80s, which is before there was as much uh, special effects in horror films. And many of the horror films were just gotten dreadful but uh they were so fascinating and interesting and they were so outlaw at that time which which they aren't now mm-hmm. i mean a lot of the mainstream films are doing more than those films ever did but some of the bad bad good ones like basket case and uh you know uh <laughs> the, beast the beast within yeah all that stuff was the beast within wow wow yeah I well, love one of my favorites movie. those things were unique mm-hmm. i once met the actor that starred in that i was just visiting with a friend of mine uh, we were doing a, a little uh, a piece for, I believe it was Bubba Hotep. I can't remember. It was for, no, no, no. It was for the Masters of Horror. And one of the guys there was the guy who had starred in it. And uh, we were just got to talk about the movie. He said, I was in that movie. I said, that's one of my favorite low-budget films. I always so, thought that was a highly underrated absolutely. film. Absolutely. And, and I think that there were films like that that were outlaw crazy, there, that, that you just don't, see anymore, and, mm-hmm. and I think part of it is just the culture has changed, and most of the oddball aspects of those things have been co-opted by mainstream films, but there was a kind of juxtaposition in the way those things were put together that fascinated me, and I tried to bring that to the books, and I always thought of those books as satire, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, they were kind of loving satire, but they were also satire about why are we so drawn to this sort of stuff. Now, uh, you've written. Uh, the, I have to say that the introduction to the second book is the, the, that first paragraph or first two paragraphs is one of my favorite pieces of writing of all time. A lot of people time. told me that. Yeah, <laughs> I I read that aloud to at, at any occasion that I can get get people's ears, and I really love the way it's written. But now that book came along a little bit later, and it has a slightly mm-hmm. different feel from the first one. So yeah. talk about um, the your evolution as a writer and the evolution of the drive-in as a series. Well, I, you know, it's harder to speak about your evolution of as, as a writer because it happens subtly. Mm-hmm. And, and that one, really, the second one came along. It wasn't too much longer mm-hmm. after the first, maybe, the, maybe a year or two. But the, 
I, I just felt that I didn't want to do it exactly like the first one. If the first one was experiencing these movies and being and, and being influenced by them and having to sort of a you know the Lord of the Flies meets a uh, Philip Jose Farmer, I guess you would say <laughs> that that the second one I saw more as a sort of film script itself and how the fascination with in this case television where the other was you know film mm-hmm. has uh, sort of corrupted the way we think and the way we envision uh, people because there's even uh, there's a uh, female uh, uh, protagonist, one of the the heroes in the group, that at first starts out to be almost just like you, what you would expect in those old Women Unchained or Kung Fu movies that were made with women in them, and then you gradually see that there's more to that character. And uh, I think that there was a kind of uh, fatalism about those two books because I was I was going through a period where I was dealing with a lot of the uh, what I thought were pretty pretty stupid right-wing politics, and boy, I, they were nothing compared to now. That, that was like nirvana. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how, how gentle those old-time scenes compared to now, where yeah. it's like in the teeth of the of chainsaws, political yeah. chainsaws. Right, absolutely. Now, now um, one of the things that, that I think about um, these books, both of them, is they really have a feel of these are pure Americana books. I mean, Absolutely. This that, is that's a- another thing. They're, they're not only pure Americana. They're a subtext of Americana. They're, that's they're really Texana. interesting. And uh, they, that means that they are heavily influenced by that, that Texas culture and that Texas drive-in culture, that Texas Peckerwood redneck culture, as well as that <laughs> sort of, uh, you know, the phoenix trying to rise from under the pine needles feel. And uh, that that's there, but it was also designed to it's to, sort of to, to sort of say you know there are no sacred cows and uh, whatever it is this religion, astrology, or numerology you know you're an idiot, and uh, that's that's kind of, and, and, and I, including myself how we all get wrapped up in all of these different things for which there really is no you know proof or uh, but but how we we work so hard to make these things real. And that how what really is important is this social connection with people, and then that's what makes people survive. And when you don't have that, or when it begins to deteriorate, so do people. One of the things that, that I love about these books is that despite the fact that they're, you know, I think some of the most outlandish, outlandish fiction ever written, is you really do have a, a really great control of the character's voice, and we really feel empathy for these people, like they are just like us. And yes, yes. There's no outright heroes in these books. Mm-hmm. These, these people are dealing with extraordinary circumstances the best they can, and sometimes highly unsuccessfully. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, to talk about, um, you know, some of your, your uh, influences in, in, in these books, because it, mm-hmm. it seems like, you know, these are books that where um, I think most writers, don't, and you among them, uh, don't, you know, try to, are, try to uh, sub- sublimate their influences. And here I think you grow them out a little bit more. Yeah. You know, I, well, there's one that's very obvious, and that's film. Mm-hmm. And it's that low-budget kind of film, mm-hmm. particularly. But it's, it's film, and it's the directorial eye that, uh, you know, is very influential there. It's never, I never wanted to grow up to be a director or anything like that, but I was influenced by films, and I was influenced by people who made films, like Roger Corman and uh, 
uh, uh, Sam Peckinpah and all those people. But I was also influenced by that sort of ragtag bunch of people that are pretty much out there, uh, you, you know, in their underwear making films. And, and that I was trying to, to bring into it. There was also certainly Lord of the Flies and, and Philip Jose Farmer and uh, uh, a lot of other you know, I've always been influenced by rock far more than anything else. But this particular thing, all those those influences were there. But certainly, it was cinematic, and it was those people who created cinema that had a lot to do with it. Now, one of the things that, that I, I really love about these books is the prose. I mean, this is stuff that you can really read out loud, and that's a, that's unusual in any kind of. Uh, writing so talk do, do you read these things out loud when you write i, I do mean, read them sometimes out loud I've, I've always felt that most of the time and i don't believe this is an absolute but i think most of the time if it can't be read aloud it probably stinks but there are exceptions <laughs> there are certain kinds of stories that work entirely in the head and are best not read aloud and I, I've, I've written a little of both but for the most part i have a, a a sort of storyteller's approach and that's another big influence in that was the people of East Texas and how people talked and how they told stories. It's a combination of people I grew up with and, and, and many of the adults that used to sit under the trees and, and tell stories. And, and as also it was an, an attempt to try to capture the true language that these people used. And, uh, you know, you, I've had people say, well, my gosh, you know, these people discourse. And they said, I thought, well, you know, that's, that's what I heard. <laughs> and it was also a way of taking that and jacking it up a little bit because it's supposed to be a B-movie and it's supposed to be over the top. But in many ways, the language was not as over the top as the events. The language was pretty much right on a lot of times. Now, um, you, we have a new book coming out from... Uh Underland Press, and mm-hmm. I was have to be shocked to say I, was, I have to say I was shocked when I saw the complete drive-in. I go, oh my right. god, Three I missed books. something. Yeah. So talk about this third book. When did you start writing it? Well, I actually it appeared from Subterranean Press not real long ago, a few years back, but it was done in in a small number, and it didn't get a lot of attention. And uh, I sort of that's another reason I wanted to get this done. It sold well, but it there just weren't a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, the third one is probably the craziest of the three. It is a more metaphysical book, not in, that, in the sense that the characters are viewing it that way. It's, it almost sums up everything. It purposely does not sum up everything, and it, makes you, uh, it gives you many different possibilities for what's going on and sort of combines them and then kind of irons them all out again. So uh, to me, it's, it's the only book next to the Bible with Jonah uh, being swallowed by the whale that has somebody swallowed by a giant catfish. So you can count that as the largest, as the, it may be the first. It's certainly the best of the catfish swallowing genre. And uh, it, all, it also is called the bus tour because they set out from the drive-in by bus and uh, the survivors. And uh, they get, uh, they have some tremendous adventures, including a flood, including being swallowed by a catfish where there's a civilization living inside the catfish. Uh, you know, I, I I love to watch. There's a show that's on, I think, the History Channel called Monster Hunter. Yeah, I watch it too. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, I think there's like two episodes, and I keep seeing the same episode again and again. And it's the guy trying to catch the giant catfish. <laughs> yeah, and there, you know, there's always a thing. Every week they do something, and every week they at the end they prove nothing. <laughs> but I love that stuff. Yeah. I love that stuff. Uh, now this book, I think, has uh, the 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 new book seems to have, I think, a little bit of a more of a 
you called it metaphysical, and I would say, too, it, it, again, it's Americana, but here we're talking, I think, the, the, the tall tales. So talk about oh, the absolutely. influence of that. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I grew up on that. I mean, we, Texans, and, we, and you don't, it's not so much now, but when we were growing up, we all knew about Pecos Bill. And, you know, we also heard non-Texas stories like Paul Bunyan and people like that. We always assumed Pecos Bill could take him. But anyway, we, we heard all of these fantastic stories and also just fables that were told and stories that were told for the truth, but they just were a little bit bigger than they could actually be. You know, that somebody would tell you the story and it starts off real, but then it gets really wild, but somehow they would pull all of the, uh, the strings together and, and it would all weave into a rope and... Uh, you weren't really sure what was real and what wasn't. And uh, that's a Texas tradition. It's a tradition, especially in East Texas, which is so southern, much more southern than the rest of Texas, of this tall tale and southern stories mixed in with black culture and, uh, you know, a lot of the old uh, kind of Uncle Remus-type stories, which a lot of people, you know, say, oh, those are racist. But they were really tales that were put down that were fascinating stories. And so all of those things you know, influenced me a lot. My grandmother telling me old ghost stories and stories about all Ireland, all of that stuff just kind of, or influenced by Ireland, all that sort of stuff just sort of wove itself together into this giant, satirical, tall tale. Now, um, you talk uh, uh, about this being satire, and we've talked a little bit about the political drop right. backdrop of the, the last two novels. The political dra- backdrop of this novel was seriously different and seriously ramped up. Yeah. I think that probably a lot of that had to do, well, with the times. Mm-hmm. You know, the, in the last, uh, during the Bush administration, not to beat around the bush, ha-ha, I just found that it to be a, a – I was never been so demoralized in my entire life. It's not to say that everything is rosy now, but I just think that those were probably the worst times in my entire life as far as politics went. And, I mean, I remember uh, being, uh, Nixon and being against the war and dealing with all that. But, you know, even Nixon, uh, you know, he did the Environmental Protection Agency. He did OSHA. I mean, there's a lot of good things that Nixon was about in spite of the, the, you know, the negative things that undid him, and rightfully so. Well, he was a socialist. Yeah, in a many, in, yeah. You know, I mean, that's funny, but, you know, yeah. I mean, I always think about all these people that were against Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. Reagan even put out this, this little album was on a record back when they, that those, remember those records? And uh, he put this out, told him how if we did Medicare that, you know, we were on our way to becoming a socialist government. And now the Republicans try to claim uh, that they did that and that, that they're trying to save Medicare. So I find that funny, not because I'm, I'm greatly supporting the Democrats either, although, you know, although I've voted that way. Uh, it, it strikes me as funny how all politicians try to rewrite history, but it amazes me how the right-wing politicians have rewritten it, and these Tea Party people are so... It just seems that there, it seems like what has happened is that it's sort of like the dark ages of politics and thinking in America because it seems like everything that we learned about science or anything that, that is considered intellectual, they're trying to overturn it, but yet they want their kids to go to college. But they want them to go to college with, that's a Christian college, or they want them to go to a, uh, uh, you know, some sort of controlled college with controlled ideas. But the, all this anti-science and all of this right-wing political stuff, all of this, you know, all of these unnecessary wars. Uh, speaking of Iraq's, what I mean, mm-hmm. it just all came together, and I think manifest itself in that particular story. 
Well, you know, I have to admit, I actually own a CD version of that Ronald Reagan album. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a really? great sound bite. It's fun to play with. Well, see, I remembered it from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Now, um, talk about, uh, uh, you know, writing these this book, you know, so much later, um, how did it feel to come back to this world and this style of writing? Because, you know, you've been doing a lot of very mm-hmm. um, naturalistic and these wonderful detective novels, you know, the, the, the bottoms, yeah. some, you know, again, this is a, the, while this is a, a very big bit of Americana, it's a very different piece of Americana. Right, right. Well, you know, it's funny because, uh, Back when I wrote the first two, I was offered by a number of different publishers, by small press and, and, uh, and even a couple times uh, some of the mainstream press, to write a, the third book. But I just I couldn't, and I just didn't have it. The truth of the matter is writing both of these books were the least fun I ever had in my life, those first two. Really? Why? Yeah, because they were very hard to write. And, and when people read them, they go, oh, these are just breezy. This was just like falling off a limb. These are so funny. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the books really were depressing to me because although they're funny, they're funny in, in the way Mark Twain is funny. And I'm not comparing myself to Twain, but I mean ideal-wise and in, in the sense of what we were trying to both accomplish is that they were – you know, I wrote the first one in two months, I think, and I think I wrote the second one in three months, and I just dreaded going to them every day. I just said, these are just dreadful. And when I read the first one and was in galleys, I said, damn, this is pretty good. <laughs> and I did the second one the same way. But when I came to the third one, I just couldn't write it. And when I finally came to it years later, I had a ball. It just wrote itself, and it's the only one of the three that I had a really good time writing. Well, it's interesting because um, reading them and, and reading them in this kind of nice omnibus edition, um, you know, they read really nicely of a piece. It's a very nice little triptych. Uh, uh, and again, this is a really interesting look at America over yeah. the last 30 years. That's and what I think. And it's not yeah. a pretty place, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> at, least, at least the things I'm talking about are not right. pretty. Let's put it that way. Now, let's talk about what else you have on, on, on the plate. Um I believe that there's uh, you're going to follow up your your last novel that we talked about. Uh, Vanilla Ride. Yeah. Yeah, a, a Devil Red. It's finished. It's turned in. The publisher has it. Uh, uh, I'm assuming that that's going to come out next year. Um, so yeah, the, the, another Happen Leonard, and then after that, I'm not quite certain. I've, we're kicking different things around. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I, I never really know truthfully until I start writing it. Now. A book that I really liked that was I thought very good was uh, uh, Leather Maiden. Oh yeah, I liked Leather Maiden. Now, I admit. Are, are you going to? Uh, and that seemed to to be um, in the end. It seemed to to really allow for you to go back and visit those I characters. I want to. I don't know that I will, but I want to. But I will say that the character in that case in Statler appears in the Happen Leonard novel Devil Red. Oh, good. He good. has a a significant role. Oh, very yeah. interesting. He's <laughs> not the main character, and uh, but he does he does appear, and he and Happen Leonard. Uh, are involved together, and so uh, it was my way of keeping him in the story. Yeah, keeping him in the mix. Um, and, and you know, there's a there was a, a wonderful movie made of, of Bubba Hotep, and, and yep. you've had some nice stuff done on, on Masters of Horror. Right. Um, are Are we ever going to see the Happen Leonard books come to? Well, life? I'm doing a screenplay for him this year. In fact, for Savage Season, and and wow. Nico Mojo was option. Two Bear Mambo was my option. We've come close many times, even. Mm-hmm. Ted Talley, who wrote the screenplay for Silence of the Lambs, did a great screenplay for Mucho Mojo. Oh, but uh, it just a lot of other different things that had nothing to do with the quality of the work, or mm-hmm. the, I, I mean, referring to his screenplay, uh, kept it from getting made. And 
we're hoping it will. But I'm doing the screenplay for Savage Season. I'm excited about the guys I'm working with. I'm excited about the project. Boy, Savage Season that really brings back some memories. I have the those uh, Z-Sing hardcovers yep. back from the back from in the day and the That's paperbacks right. as well. That's right. <laughs> now, um, our, talk about uh, you know. I don't know if I ought to mention this. Vintage has reprinted all of the old Happen Leonard novels. Oh yeah, then a really nice uh, trade really paperback. Nice yeah. Now, um, you know, it's a really interesting uh, publishing environment, and you've been through a lot of publishing mm-hmm. environments. You know, the eighties, and uh, you published the seventies and eighties. Uh, you know, as far as like magazines, I was writing in, since nineteen seventy-three. Right, right. And I, I actually have an old, the old Space and Time version of. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> of Dead in the West. Yeah. yeah. Oh, actually, that was Eldritch Tales. W- was it? Oh, yeah. oh, really? Space and Time did some stuff of mine, but. Oh. Eldritch Tales serialized it. Oh, really? Oh, wow. How interesting. So uh, talk about, you know, the publishing environment now. Do you look Do you look uh, forward to publishing your stuff for the iPad? Well, you know, I, I, I believe that reading is reading. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the biggest problem writers have is how they get paid. And because as long as people want to read, then your material is going to have a place to go. But it depends on how cheap it is for them to produce this stuff and how you know, necessary it is to pay the writer uh, a, a proper fee, so to speak. I mean, I've been doing it long enough now that I make really pretty damn good money. And uh, it's also because I, I have you know, films and I do screenplays and comics and short stories and things of that nature. But I don't think the book's going to disappear. But I, I do believe it's probably, as we think of books, and I think it's already done this, has become more of a luxury item. In the 1800s, books were luxury. People didn't have, common people didn't have access to books that much because they were expensive. Mm-hmm. And then in the 1900s, when you had the paperback revolution, and of course pulp magazines and dime novels before that, when you had the paperback revolution, though, that a lot of books that were considered classic books, Shakespeare, whatever, uh, his plays, they all became available in paperback. And they were cheap. People could buy them, carry them around in their pockets. A lot of people just threw them away when they got through reading them. Because even though it was 50 cents, was a lot more then than it is now. It was still cheap and affordable. A quarter is what I said, instead of 50 cents. Mm-hmm. But I think what's happened now is that books have become so expensive that these outlets are going to naturally occur, and it's going to be a matter of how the writer gets paid. But books are not going to disappear, but they are going to become a luxury item. It's going to be harder for writers to make a living just writing books. But if you'll remember back in the 60s and the 70s and the 50s, 60s, 70s, there were very few writers that made a living writing books. Most of them were people who wrote books part-time. Mm-hmm. And it was in the 80s when you had this boom of so many people making a living writing books, and then that just bust, because I just don't think we could contain that kind of uh, that bubble. It was just too big. So we, we've got the sequel to Vanilla Ride coming out. And anything else from, from Subterranean Press? Uh, yes, Subterranean Press just uh, bought uh, the a thing called Dead Man's Road, which is they're going to republish the the Dead in the West novel, and they're going to include four uh, novellas about that same character. I've actually called him different names in a couple a couple of times, and people said, "What's why is he doing this?" And the reason is I forgot his name, <laughs> and uh, I've used him one of the names of one of my w- other westerns. But we're going to fix that, and there's going to be four novellas, one which has never appeared anywhere but this book. And so I'm pretty excited about that. And in the future, uh, well, right currently, there's the best of Joe R. Lansdale that's out from Tachyon. Mm-hmm. And in the future, there's uh, going to be uh, the Ned the Seal novels all collected. Wow, I can't wait. I, there, that, I have to say that that reading at SFNSF 
of the Ned the Seal stuff was one of the most hysterical experiences I have ever had. Well, thank you. <laughs> and again, this goes to, to something that I really like about your stuff, that it, it really is the American language meant to be read out loud. I mean, they should read this in front of the Super Bowl. You're for the opening to drive into. Forget yeah. the singers. Well, storytelling is, is what I like best, and that's been the thing that's, that's influenced me the most. And that's why I love, love writers like Mark Twain, you know, and, and Flannery O'Connor, because I thought of them as storytellers first. Mm. I've been speaking with Joe R. Lansdale. His new book is The Complete Driving, coming from Underland Press. Thank you for speaking with me, Joe. Oh, thank you, Rick. I really appreciate it. It's always interesting to talk to you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.